1: I'm April Stearns, the founder and editor of Wildfire Magazine and the host of this podcast. Today, we're going to hear a piece about loss of fertility from cancer. For me, this was one of the hardest losses at the hands of cancer. It was the hardest to wrap my brain around. It took several years to fully accept. And even as I say this aloud on the eve of my 45th birthday, there is an aching, a longing, and I wonder, have I actually accepted it? It's like a broken tooth at the back of my mouth that I touch now and then to see if it's still there. Where would it have gone, actually? And does it still hurt? I recently read for the first time a beautiful essay called After the Hysterectomy, written by Ira Sukrangura, about his wife's hysterectomy. And it sounds odd, perhaps, that a man put into words so completely this feminine ache within me. But at the end of the day, we're all human, all at the whim of Mother Nature. So Ira wrote, The finality of this decision has taken away a path in your life. In that waiting room, you imagine a child, one you've created, one without a face, a child, your child, yours. And you hear that child's laughter, and you feel that child's breath, and you understand why your mother clings to you, why she squeezes your arms and legs even now, as if she thinks you're not real, a dream she does not want to lose. In that waiting room for perhaps the first time, you find yourself wanting, It fills you like a fragrant pond of lotuses, beautiful gaping blooms hungry with want. So for me, it's that bone-deep pit of grief of wanting something out of reach that was shocking and surprising. It was heartbreaking, maddening, painful in a way that's hard to articulate. And therefore, it's a topic I'm proud to cover with Wildfire. The effects of cancer treatment on fertility are one of the big reasons I believe people diagnosed with cancer need age-specific resources. A cancer diagnosis that affects reproductive organs that comes well after menopause is not going to land the same way, the same diagnosis will decades prior. And so today we'll talk about cancer making fertility choices for us, because whether you've had a child or not before cancer came along, it's a lot to grapple with. My guest today is Melanie Childers. Melanie was diagnosed at 34 with stage two hormone positive breast cancer. She's a Martha Beck certified resilience and leadership coach, an activist, a yogi, a writer, a spiritual badass, and one of the founders of the breast cancer resource, theunderbelly.org. She loves Thai food, empowering progressive women to run for office, and rocking out with music way too loud, all of which I love, Melanie. Welcome to The Burn.
2: Hi, thank you for having me. This is such an honor.
1: Well, for me as well, it's so fun to get to chat with you today. So you are here to read a piece you wrote several years ago now for our 2018 fertility infertility issue. Your piece is titled No. And after you read, we will chat a little bit and get an update from you on where you are now. So those of you listening, stay tuned to the end for a writing prompt inspired by today's chat. All right, Melanie, let's let you take it away and read your piece. Thank you. All right,
2: here we go. I'd always been on the fence about having children. My husband had been as well. We both loved kids, but having our own would radically change our lives. And neither of us were sure we were really ready for that change. we had been married for five years when I decided to go off birth control. We agreed we'd just see what happens and either we'd get pregnant or we wouldn't. So in January of 2010, at the age of 33, I stopped taking the pill and thus endeth my sex life. (laughs) Well, not entirely, but we were both just so unsure that we nearly stopped having sex altogether. I gave up on the idea and to restore my marriage, I went back on the pill the following January. Nine months later, I had breast cancer. I will always wonder if the hormonal fluctuation of on-again, off-again pill usage caused my cancer or made it grow. I'd been on the pill for 20 years until that point without a breast lump in sight. At my first oncologist appointment, the doctor asked my husband and I if we wanted kids. We looked at each other blankly. We both just wanted me to be alive. Any talk of children would have had to take a back seat in light of what we were facing together. Would we want to freeze some eggs? She asked. Another blank look. She explained that chemo would put me into menopause and the odds of getting pregnant post-cancer were slim. After she explained that the process of freezing eggs would mean pumping my body full of the hormones that might make my cancer grow, just so I could maybe possibly someday have children I wasn't even sure I was ready for, my choice was clear, and it was a heartbreaking one. No frozen eggs. The odds that my cancer would grow in the process was just too great. I was out of time for getting pregnant as well, and my worst nightmare was bringing a child into the world, only to leave my husband to care for him or her alone. So we had to say no. No eggs, no babies, no toddlers, no first days of school, no skinned knees and bruised elbows, no bike riding lessons, no driving lessons, no graduations, no marriages, no grandchildren. No. The magnitude of the decision sent me reeling. Over the next few days, I have vacillated from heartbreak to anger to acceptance and back again. I couldn't believe that cancer would take my decision from me that it would all come down to this literal life or likely death option, that having children really wasn't in the cards for me. I had waited too long to decide, and now I had no choice. It took me another year to come to full acceptance. The part of me that wanted to be freewheeling with no child responsibilities was relieved. The part of me that wanted to watch a being I had brought into the world grow, learn, and have amazing experiences was devastated. It wasn't until I finished all of my chemo treatments that my grief fully settled in and had to be lovingly acknowledged, felt, and processed. It's true that sometimes you don't know how bad you want something until it's no longer an option. Coming to terms with my feelings about my new reality was a challenge. Cancer didn't just take my breasts, it took my potential future family. It took the daydreams of what my children might look like, it took bedtime stories and irrepressible giggles. It took excited Christmas mornings and awkward first dates. I was honestly surprised at the depth of my grief and sadness. I had to learn to feel it completely and meet it with compassion, kindness, and love. That in itself was a bumpy road, littered with potholes of should-haves and self-blame. But with some help from a few of my favorite authors, and Doyle, Brene Brown, Liz Gilbert, Anne Lamott, and Pema Chodron, I learned to forgive myself. I hadn't asked for this, for this cancer. I hadn't known this would be my path. Maybe things would be different if I had known. Maybe not. My husband's loving kindness went a long way too. He helped me heal physically and emotionally and held my aunt through it all. And though we're no longer together now, his love and our closeness was the greatest gift I could have received at that time in my life. And while we may not have children together, we still have our mutual love and respect for each other. What was born out of my cancer experience instead was an unshakable sense of self, an incredible knowledge of my own strength, self-respect, and self-love, an integral understanding of who I am and why I'm here. A part of me had believed that I needed a family to be whole, but what I really needed was me, fully and powerfully, unapologetically, me. And that is all that matters
1: and that's all that matters. You're right, Melanie. Thank you so much. So let's take a quick break here, let you catch your
0: breath. And when we come back, we'll chat a little about your story. This is Miranda Johnson. I'm from Minneapolis, Minnesota, and I was diagnosed with stage two B triple negative breast cancer in October, 2018. I finished treatment in 2020. Writing has gotten me through a lot of hard times in my life. But it was strange. During cancer, I just couldn't write. I didn't want to, and I'd never felt that way before. It felt heavy and sad. Another loss. You've helped me welcome writing back into my life inch by inch over the last two years. Thank you for being our guide and for pulling together such a welcoming, comforting, come-as-you-are space filled with the most amazing women. I'm so grateful and appreciative that I found my way to the wildfire writing workshops, and it's made a big difference in my life. Dumping out my thoughts onto paper still doesn't feel like the easy, comfortable, best pal kind of relationship that I had with it for most of my life, but it's getting a little more comfortable again. And that feels good and hopeful. Thank you. Author Kim Harms has been watching her husband construct buildings for two
1: decades. But she never imagined there would be a day when a piece of her would have to be physically reconstructed. That after a breast cancer diagnosis at age 40, her chest would literally be taken apart and put back together. It was during the physical process of breast reconstruction that she realized just how much breast cancer affects the non-physical parts of life. Pieces of her marriage, her thought life, her self-esteem and sense of womanhood were all taken apart and reconstructed alongside her body. She chose to use her expertise as a journalist and freelance writer to pen Life Reconstructed, a resource for other women going through the same thing. Combining her experience, input from other survivors and medical professionals, as well as extensive research, Kim weighs the pros and cons of various surgical options and details the physical, psychological, emotional, and relational costs that accompany a breast cancer diagnosis. Written with transparency, compassion, and a bit of humor, Life Reconstructed can be found in bookstores across the U.S. and anywhere you buy books online. Learn more at kimharms.net or find Kim on Instagram at Kim All right. Welcome back. Thank you so much for the testimonial, Miranda. And do check out our episode sponsor, the writer Kim Harms and the Life Reconstructed book. You guys know this, but at Wildfire, we are strong advocates for storytelling, for survivorship, and for resources created by and for us to help us along the way. Thanks again, Melanie, for your powerful writing and reading of that story. Thank you.
2: It was a really interesting to look back because it's been about six years now, maybe a little longer since I wrote that. And I'm at such a different place in my life. And yet it still brought up lots of feelings and sadness and loss. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you um, that you started there. That's where I wanted to start as well. And I was curious how that was landing for you as you read it And we know grief is not a linear thing, so I was curious if it was stirring up um, some feelings for you. can you give us an update on where you are now, cancer-wise and and this whole fertility thing?
2: Yeah. Well, first, happy almost 45th birthday. I'm also 45. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. um, So now I'm a business coach for feminist entrepreneurs, Um, started way back with Breast cancer flipping my life upside down. Um, I'm remarried and we have just adopted a puppy. So basically we do have a child.
0: <laughs> just
2: not one that came from my body. <laughs> um, and truly, like I think I'm I'm really grateful that that cancer made my decision for me. It was really hard to deal with in that time of my life because it was something that I wanted badly. And it was something that even though I was on the fence, my heart wanted it. Um, but I'm, I'm a rebellious freedom loving individual. And (laughs) I I think that if, if things had gone differently, I probably, I'm sure that I would, I would love having children, but it would have been a, a very different version of me and a very different set of challenges. And I'm really grateful for the way that my life looks now. I have no regrets. I have sadness because, you know, nobody wants options to be taken from them. We want to make that you know, we want to have the agency to make that choice ourselves, And that is what I grieve is the agency, not the loss of what could have been.
1: Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yes. I love how you just put that. And I love too, that you have a four-legged son, son or daughter. Um, Uh, yes, he's a boy and we have a cat too. And yeah, we, we still have kids. (laughs) Exactly. Well, and your business is a child as well. Like I think this desire to create, to nurture doesn't have to be tied necessarily to, to something that comes from our bodies. And maybe that's something we learn, right?
2: Yeah. And my business is the greatest, most loving creation I have ever put out into the world. And I couldn't be more proud.
1: That's amazing. So, I was going to ask you about this a little later in our chat, but I'm curious, did do you think you would be where you are now? Um, would you have created this business nonetheless? Do you think this was just your the path you were on or did cancer kind of move you in this direction?
2: Maybe, but I really doubt it. I feel like cancer is the bomb that that clarified so many things in my life that I was indecisive or on the fence on mm-hmm. that I was like oh here's what really matters here's what's really important uh you know even back in in 2015 or 16 this this I got diagnosed in 2011 um I still wasn't sure what I wanted to do and where I wanted to go but I was very clear on what I didn't want mm-hmm. and that was really powerful. So I had just finished a master's degree in adult education in um, instructional design, which is designing online learning and was like, okay, it's creative and it's fun, but it's also corporate. And surely this is my path. And it, it wasn't. And it was so clear once cancer happened that I was like, oh, I don't even want to do this. What am I doing? What's happening right now? Wait a minute! (laughs) Why am I doing things that drain my energy and make me miserable? And life is, yeah, I got the clarity that life is very short, and if we aren't doing the things that light us up, maybe we're walking the wrong path. For me, that was certainly true. I was like, oh, I'm walking the wrong path in several different ways, and I don't know. You know, I, I haven't found the breadcrumbs that take me through you know, that forest and that that take me down that particular path, but I'm willing to hunt for them now. Mm. Where before it was like, okay, well, I guess this is just what life is. And I made some decisions and this is good enough. And suddenly things were not just good enough anymore. It was like, wait, hold on. Yep. Life is finite. (laughs) You don't necessarily know that at 34. (laughs) You're just like, oh, we're just getting started. We're figuring it out. And you're like, wait a minute, hold on. No, life is happening right now. Yes. Are you sure that you're doing the things that you want to be doing? It was very, very powerful. So no, I don't I don't know for sure that I would be on this path. If you would ask me at 34, I probably have laughed in your face that I would be a business coach. I'd be like, business? Ew. I hate business. What? Now I'm like, oh my God, this is fascinating and
1: awesome and endless and cool. And ho-. yeah, <laughs> this is a very yes. different version of me. <laughs> I know. It's so interesting how I, it's like, there's a dichotomy there I think of when you're young and you think everything is possible but you also think you have all the time to explore yeah. all those things and um and cancer has a way of showing you that you don't necessarily have that and this fertility piece you know is such a good example of that of course you know we grow up knowing the clock is ticking and all that but all of a sudden to be faced with you need to make decisions about this. You need to freeze eggs or you need to move into chemo. Like this has to be decided right now. And you don't even know yourself yet. Like, yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think that that was such a, such a moment of clarity for me and such an eye opener about the time we do have Mm. when my oncologist was like, okay, we have options. Option A you can get chemo and we'll go right now. Option B, we wait for chemo. We flood your body with hormones. We save you some eggs. And then you decide to have kids in two or three, four or five years. And I was like, well, I have to decide now. Yes. Basically today. Yeah. Make your life choices today. (laughs) I was like, um, I think I want to live. So how
1: about let's not do the more risky path. I think I'm, I'm, I'm good. It's so it's so hard though, um, too, with the fact that you have to make these really speedy decisions for something that you will then have to reconcile, you know, and figure out later, like long after you leave the chemo chair. And and as you described in your piece, you know, you end up then having to work your way through this grief process of what the decision was that you actually made, because it comes in layers and that realization lands in different ways, you know, as you start maybe having friends who have children, or I don't know, for me, it was, I didn't even really know how much I wanted it until all of a sudden one day saw someone, you know, with their kid on their shoulders. And I was like, wait, what was what like, it just gutted me in a way that I didn't expect. And so there's these layers of ramifications, I guess, is what I'm trying to say.
2: Uh-huh. Yeah. And I think like the layers of processing right. is is something that you don't expect. Mm-hmm. Like, like I was not expecting the grief wave and the anger and the frustration and the heartbreak. I didn't expect any of that. And I, I didn't just go through it once. Like you said, grief is not linear. You don't just go through it once. It comes back and it comes back even now just reading the piece mm-hmm. just having friends who are about 10 years younger than me who are starting to have children and i'm just like oh i remember when i was that age oh how different my life could have been oh how interesting that they're doing this now and i didn't get to do that and oh i wonder what my kids would have been like and yeah there's a there's an element of removal because it it is you know 10 years in the past even a little bit more but that feeling of the I wonder what what if is always there. Mm-hmm. and there's always that that loving, tender place in my heart for the kids that I didn't get to have. And I think that that's the way that I sort of processed through that was like, let me love that part of me that's mourning. Let me love the part of me that daydreamed about them and about what they would look like and about what their names would be and about what their lives could have been like. And let me love them even though they don't exist. Mm -hmm. And let me love all the parts of the part of me, you know, the parts of me that wanted that and the parts of me that didn't want that too. Like, I think like acceptance truly is making peace with all the parts of you that the part that was on the fence, the part that wanted it, the part that didn't want it, the part that wasn't sure, the part that got angry and sad and was surprised at the grief. I think that that truly was what acceptance looked like for me was like, I'm going to love all these parts of me and not judge any of it. It's Mm -hmm. all okay. This is so part of the normal human experience, even though, you know, cancer is this thing that happens
1: to, Right. Right. And I love that you said that, you know, about, about loving each piece of that. And it reminded me of, um, a moment in your mm-hmm. essay where you talked about needing to actually feel the feelings you know, around it. And I think that you you can't have acceptance for each part of yourself until you're willing to go face to face with that part. And um I think writing is a really powerful way of coming face to face with that. We kind of give lip service and say, you know, oh, well I've processed it. I'm good. But when you're sitting there and you're writing it, then you really I mean, then you know, right.
2: Mm-hmm. And then when you read it back out loud.
1: Yes, it's a whole other layer. That's
2: a whole other layer of feelings involved.
1: <laughs> yes. Well, and it's reminding me too, you know, I talk about this a lot in my writing workshops about writing from a wound, writing from a scar and how differently those things are. And I was feeling as you were reading this, how this is clearly a story that's written from a scar at this point, but that doesn't mean that it's not tender to the touch. It doesn't mean that it's not there, you know, and it doesn't still exist. It just means I think that when you're writing from a scar, you're not ripped open and bleeding all over the page in a way that is almost terrifying and harmful to the person reading it or the person hearing it. We were able to hear from your story that pain and then also where you went next with it and where it it led you. To something else. Is that yeah. is that how you kind of f- heard it today as you were reading it to yourself or or did it feel quite raw? No, I, I felt
2: a little removed from it, but from a loving, a loving place and a remembering place. And uh yeah, I mean there's still definitely emotion that came up.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Absolutely. Sadness, loss, grief, and and grieving for the part of me that was writing it and grieving for the part of me that went through it and the part of me that's here today, like, Oh, I do wonder what they what they would have been like, they would be, you know, 10 now, or maybe, maybe not, (laughs) maybe younger than that. Right. And I also like think about, you know, I think some of that is like the, I think it's too encapsulated is really like what could have been Mm -hmm. and what was and what could have been all at the, Layered all on top of each other.
1: Exactly. Yes. And I'm just picturing like the Midnight Library, right? This like multiverse, like splitting off, and we have all these Melanies, you know, in all these different versions. And you have to, like you said, you just have to accept the one that's here right now in this experience that you're living now. And the beautiful thing about writing about it is you now have this postcard of a moment in time, you know, when you were writing it and it's layered because like you said, there's the, the previous, the diagnosed, you know, Melanie who was being given that information and having to make those choices, there's the Melanie writing it. And now there's the Melanie reading it. And it's so nice how writing gives us that ability to, to revisit those various versions of ourselves.
2: Yeah. And I'm glad you brought that up too, because I, I think I thought I had a little hesitation even about when you sent me the link to the PDF to read the story. I was like, oh, I don't want to. What if it sucks? <laughs> this was This was like six years ago. It's probably terrible. And I read through and I was like, oh my God, that was really good. I didn't have any judgment about it at all. I didn't have any, no notes, right? Like no edits, no notes. I was like, oh. How good. I was such a good writer. I'm still such a good writer. Cool. Interesting. Awesome. Yes. Yeah. It's, that was uh, like a really interesting and fun experience. I really expected a lot of self-judgment and a lot of judgment of where I was then and I was like very pleasantly surprised. And it was like, no, what a what a beautiful story.
1: We are such the biggest critics, right? Like pre mm-hmm. pre-critic. <laughs> you know, it's yep. going to suck when you read that. <laughs>
2: right? It's like anticipatory critics. Like, no, don't even bother reading it. It's going to be terrible.
1: (laughs) It's, it's, it's so incredible. And I love that you were able instead to see the opposite because of course that's true. But again, to be able to see it and to hold her and be like, yeah, that was great. That, and that's, it's good. It's done now. We can put that on the shelf. You know, it's yeah. Yeah. It's true
2: and real and uh, like bleeding out on the page, but not in a drowning everyone in the blood with you.
1: No. <laughs> kind of way. Exactly, just in like a cleansing kind of, you know, yeah, kind of way. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. So the last um the last little question I have for you before we part is I'm wondering how writing is um what the role of writing is in your life now? Are you writing essays? Are you doing other kinds of writing? Is it helping you process stuff? Where are you at with writing? Yeah, I
2: most of the writing that I do now is looking at my own thinking. So I'm a mindset coach in the in the business sphere and so much of what we do is look at our limiting thoughts and look at our the ways that we, that we play small, the ways that we don't take up space. And so I definitely write a lot of what's happening in my own mind so that I'm being that curious observer. And, and the non-judgment really helps a lot there. <laughs> um, and then th- for the most part, what I really write now is, is like things that help other people with their businesses. So marketing, social media posts, um, emails, podcast episodes. I have a podcast called The Bad Bitch Entrepreneur. Um, and it really, it's my work through writing now is to educate and to help and to serve others in their businesses so that they can, you know, create the feminist business that they want the way that they want it and break all the rules that they, you know, society has put on the way that we're supposed to do business. I think that that's a gift of not having gotten a master's in business administration. It's like, I don't have any of those rules and any of that BS. It's like, no, we get to write our own. Um, so the majority of my writing now is less in, in sort of a storytelling form although it is storytelling it's just telling other people's stories like client stories or the stories of through teaching and teaching concepts and teaching you know how to create the business that you want
1: mhm i love that well and i love that you brought it up um the fact that writing is happening all around us and we are doing it all the time, whether we consider ourselves to be quote unquote, you know, writing at the time we're doing it, we're we're always writing emails, we're always texting, we're always creating to-do lists and and these communications that are happening to clarify thoughts. And also that part that you mentioned too about, you know, you're writing about what's happening for you internally is this way of setting yourself right next to and becoming an observer of those thoughts. I find that to be such an important part of writing our stories too and the healing part of it is to step just next to, you know, become a journalist of your own mind and a journalist of your experience. And then it lets you it lets you realize a whole bunch of really interesting things about yourself. Yeah, and I think what's
2: I used to be that person who Could barely write anything at all because my inner critic editor is all over the page. Like, no, 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 scratch through that. No, 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 that's not the way you meant that. And it stopped so much goodness from coming through. And when I was able to sort of like lovingly put her in a corner and tell her, thank you, but we're just going to dump onto the page and just let it be and see what comes up and see how deep we can go and see how honest we're willing to be and see how rebellious and ridiculous and. Outlandish. We're willing to, you know, where are we willing to go with this? And then she was like, "Oh, cool. Let's get curious instead. Then we can always edit later." And that really helped me, like, just just dump all the genius that's already in me and in all of your listeners out onto the page without judgment, without trying to clean it out, without trying to make it perfect before you ever like fully just get it out. Like, just let yourself go take off all the rules and all the have tos and all the shoulds, right? Like fuck a contraction. Just can I say that here?
1: Uh, Yeah, you can say that here. You know, you're reminding (gasps) me of uh, Natalie Goldberg who wrote writing down the bones. She said, no one, no one has ever yet died from writing messy, bad, quote unquote, bad writing. Like if you really can just let it rip, And, um, and to your hero in mind, Liz Gilbert, who says like, just let, let your writer or your editor brain, rather your fear, whatever, sit in the back seat. They don't get to control the steering wheel. They don't get to fiddle with the radio. They can come on this journey, but they're not driving this and we'll just, Mm -hmm. yeah, let it rip.
2: Yeah. Let's just see where we can go. Exactly. Like there's so much gold if we're willing to just let ourselves see, uh, see ourselves, without judgment mm-hmm. and see what's in there without judgment.
1: Exactly. And just
2: let it all come to the surface. Yeah, Let
1: it all out, write it down and maybe, you know, set it aside. And, and like you experienced today, you know, maybe someone calls you up in four or five, six years and says, Hey, want to reread that essay you wrote back then? And then you, and then you get to see that it's gold, right?
2: <laughs> 100%. Yeah. And I think too, like one of the things that I have my clients do now is, decide ahead of time that whatever comes out of you is brilliant and genius and beautiful and authentic and true and real and amazing. And that for some reason unlocks, it's almost like if you could put a key into Mm -hmm. my forehead and like turn the lock, it's like the creativity just flows out. It's like, I just decided ahead of time that everything I have to offer up is great. Mm -hmm. Even if I don't know what's going to come out yet, even if even if it sucks, right? Who cares? Like, I'm just going to decide. And it's it's like all the restrictions and the rules just fall away and the creativity just pours out and the truth just pours out and you just let it be brilliant and genius and okay, exactly as it is. That's so. Yes. There's so much goodness in there when we can just decide ahead of time and let it go.
1: Exactly. And the bringing it out is so important. I like to say, you know, even if you're just writing it in the steam in your shower on the wall, you know, or you're writing it in sand that waves are going to take away, there is something about literally writing it that helps to start that process. Like you're saying of unlocking and just letting things come out in a way that can transform your life and your, and your feelings about it. Yeah. Melanie, this has been amazing. So where can people find you? And if you'll mention your podcast again, too.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So I'm the host of the Bad Bitch Entrepreneur podcast, which you can find on all of your podcast platforms. And I also have a website, MelanieChilders.com. I run a mastermind every six months for badass feminist entrepreneurs who want to make six figures in their business their way
1: there you have it well melanie thank you so much melanie read to us her piece called no from the february march 2018 issue of wildfire magazine called infertility the in in parentheses fertility and i am april stearns you've been listening to the burn the burns a production of wildfire magazine where we share breast cancer stories from young women like you've never read or heard before we also strive to inspire you to write your story like you've never written it before Stay to the end for a writing prompt inspired by today's episode. Our producer is Bill Smith of Shoe Production, and our production assistant is Monica Haro. Want more on the life-changing transformation to be had from telling your breast cancer stories? Visit wildfirecommunity.org to find a copy of the issue shared in today's episode, to find our now 35 issues in the Wildfire Archives, and to take a writing workshop with me. There is no place on the planet like a Wildfire Writing Workshop, and I want you to experience it for yourself. Discover how to write your way back to yourself, write your way to reclaiming your body and your story. And don't forget to subscribe to The Burn and listen to it wherever you go. If you like what you hear, leave us a starred review and help others find their way to writing the stories that need to be told. Here is your writing prompt. I want you to write a letter to your broken heart. Broken hearts mend, but they don't heal by pretending they aren't broken. Holding a space in your heart for a child that hasn't yet come or cannot come is profoundly painful. I want you to write to that pain or whatever else is breaking your heart today. Set your timer for eight minutes, write without stopping or editing, write without stopping or editing. Honestly, keep your hand moving, your fingers tapping. There's magic in leaning into that time. Happy writing. Thanks for listening. Until next time, take good care.